0: This is the only place that talks about how to maximize the output of your SDR team. Every single week, we get insights from the best in class SDR leaders, diving deep into exactly how we can better lead our teams, constantly increase the output of our management, and leverage the systems that will allow our SDRs to perform at a much higher level. This is the SDR Leadership Podcast. I'm your host, Matt Becker. Do not forget to leave us a review and rate us on iTunes. All right, welcome back everyone to the SDR Leadership Podcast. Uh, this is your host, Matt Becker, and I'm here with a very, very special guest. Rob's background goes back, I mean, a number of years, but he's been in business development management. He's directed different accounts and departments before. And I think even like way back, you were just working as a straight sales development consultant. Is that right?
1: Yeah, so uh, thanks for having me on, Matt. Um, I started my career 10 years ago. I've been known as a child of SaaS, as some people call me. So I was I started my career back in 2013 as an SDR when no one really knew what an SDR or a BDR was. And I'm very passionate to see the way the world of the market has changed towards this role and how important this role is. So thanks for having me on.
0: Yeah, I really appreciate you coming on. And what we're going to be chatting about is how do you increase the conversion rate of your SDR team? And specifically, when it comes to increasing the quality of sets put up, how do you increase the conversion rates of those sets? So first question that I think a lot of us are really having is when it comes to just assessing, hey, do you focus on conversion rate or do you just drive more volume? Like, how is it that you think about Hey, do we need to focus more so on quality or more so on quantity and what's your
1: approach to that? Yeah, I think it's always, I'm always been a massive advocate of, of quality and um, I've always gone down this route because I believe there's been a misunderstanding on how you get more opportunities in the right way and how from a waterfall effect from the top down, people see what they actually need to be successful. So looking at other teams, I have these conversations all the time where people are like, we need to get them to do a hundred dials and 250 emails. And you're kind of going, well, why did you pick that number? Where does that number come from? What's the root? And when, it, when you really want to drive impact, how are you making sure that like, okay, they might be doing a hundred calls, but are they good calls? Are they skilled enough calls to get what you really need, which is more business?
0: Could you share some of those key metrics you look at that help you determine, hey, you know, we don't need to be doing more volume. We really need to focus on the conversion rate more. How do you make that decision, I guess? Or even an example of one time would be really helpful.
1: Yeah, 100%. So I think this, I will be an advocate of my, my technology. <laughs> um, having the, the data behind it is, is key. So what I look for at the crux of everything is how much activity a rep puts into every opportunity to create an opportunity that's going to be successful. So that's uh, that understanding like how many calls, how many emails they make. And I benchmark that on a quarterly basis on, of my whole team's success. So I think a big thing happens at the moment is companies pick the number at the start of the year and that doesn't change where so many things can impact that number. So for me, it's starting at that top point of like what each quarter is going to take the effort to be successful. Once we kind of see that we can, we can gauge the bandwidth of, is it a volume or is it a quality issue? So being like, are they making too many calls? Are they making too little? Are they making the right calls? Are they making, or are they sending good emails, bad emails all based on that data? So where are they landing in that sweet spot?
0: Yeah. And it's a little bit of a tangent, but how much data do you think is really necessary to make those correct decisions? Specifically, how long of a period do you look at? To, to draw your data from? What's too much? What's too little in your
1: opinion? Um, I think a, a, a three week bandwidth is where I really would look, look for because if we look at like the, what the optimum touch point to crack a net new business is eight to 10 in the US and it's 10 to 12 specifically if it's an enterprise business space. So if you're running that many touch points on an accurate basis, you need to do that over a three week period based on our current data. So that's where we would really start. And then it kind of gets down to what what is it that you need to to understand? So is it the sentiment of the message? Is it the the reply rate, the open rate, the click-through rate? And I kind of check six data points, I would say, to see in that three-week period, what was the success? So open rate, um, reply rate, positivity, and breaking it down into length of message sentiment, and then length of call and structure of call
0: do you ever use any points outside of those specifically when you're looking at increasing quality or is it a pretty strict framework you follow where you just look at these six points
1: i think i've always had to benchmark it off those six so that at least i have the same format to understand if there's success there and i think that's a big problem where if we look at one-to-ones, they're based on CRM numbers that we get, which are just like, how many calls does this person make? How many emails do they send? And, and if you're a manager, whenever something goes wrong, the first question you're going to ask is, is it quality or quantity? The way the last 10 years have gone, it's, oh, managers are always going to be like, just keep doing the same thing. So it's always going to be a quantity issue. And you could just be driving a rep to insanity by pushing them that thing and not actually getting where where... I think taking that step below and understanding like sentiment, size of message, even looking at like the volume of contacts per account they send, because that's one of the biggest things I, I see is like, you need to understand if you're targeting a certain audience, what's the right level of contact per account to get through the noise. So if it's like SMB, is it three to five? If it's enterprise, is it 10 to 12? All that kind of understanding leaves you, removes as many of those doubtful questions that get me to that stage of sales management, which I hate, which is my gut tells me we need to do this. I want to have as much data points as possible before I ever go to end that (laughs) route.
0: Yeah, for sure. So those are six like really good points. It would seem to, you know, getting the appointment scheduled, do you use that same framework when you're assessing, Hey, the conversion rate of set appointments, as in like how many of those are really closing or becoming closed one deals. Do you use that same framework or is there another one that you use for that?
1: No, it's straight down to um, those kind of key aspects. And then the, the one I talked there about was the sentiments. So we would monitor things about like, what is the overall theme we're trying to approach? Have we gone down a industry topic route? Have we gone down a persona route? And I think the level that always is going to be the key to understanding what's converting right now and what's closing. So, well, a lot of my reps, the first question I have them ask their AEs and their one-to-ones is, what deals are you closing right now? What's the, uh, what's the last thing that you spoke to your biggest deal about? And, and then that is then pumped in once a quarter into our persona targeting, our industry targeting and our message targeting, which is always going to drive that conversion rate up because I think what's happening is people are saying at the start of the year, this is our go-to-market message and they do not, they may adjust it halfway through where if we look at the last 18 months, every quarter there's going to, there's been three changes to the market, at least in every industry. So it's kind of about how you adapt and get quicker on them in order to get that conversion rate up.
0: Okay. Right on. Yeah. That's really good context. So could you run through those six points one more time for the audience?
1: Yeah. So first is going to be um open rate. So, Obviously we have this hierarchy of being volumes of calls and emails but then we look at open rate, uh, reply rate, uh, response so like are they is it a negative or a positive response? Then we look at things like um, vo- um, c- context per email. so how many words are we using? So I know for example you can increase your reply rate if you keep it under by 2x if you keep it under a hundred words. Uh, versus the 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 age old old perspective of send Wikipedia to them. Uh, we then look at we then look at things like um, call call connects um, and call sentiment. So we use a lot of data to understand like what are we actually saying? How is the message structured? Are we sounding like robots who are trying to pitch to the world, or have we become a humanized, personalized message that actually runs with the company?
0: Okay, yeah, really appreciate you running through those. So, like the next question I was going to ask is really, how do you approach increasing those conversion rates? And it sounds like there's really six primary areas that you'll look at to do that. Um, I think one that, you know, maybe a lot of people would be curious about just to pick one or two. When you're looking at, hey, how positive or negative is the response coming in from someone how do you approach improving that? If, you know, maybe there is a negative response or if there's a positive one, how do you maybe increase the positivity of that? How do you really approach that?
1: I think the, f- the first one we looked at is we kind of stay away from those. gen. we really encourage people to push back. Like I think in industries, people are too kind to be like, Hey, I'll- okay. If you said six months, I'll call you back in six months. Um, or they haven't, they haven't been, they haven't been afraid to go back and do a second angle right and i think that's a big one that we see their response reply rate is that people like prospecting is as a hypothesis it's educated guessing you don't know exactly what's going to go on that person's mind despite the hours of research you've done into it so what one way i really focus on is first in enablement always having the people to push back but secondly is having a second pain point to attack right because Managers are going to have a lot things. We try our best to understand persona and what's going on in the industry. So I will always encourage my reps to go back of, say, for example, in our situation, getting more meetings might not be the situation. It might, which we always go down the initial route. It might be that conversion rate metric. So we might go, hey, you guys might have too much pipeline and you're struggling. So it's that second angle approach is something that I don't see a lot of people do and people just default automatically to, okay, I'll come back in six months and send you the exact same message again.
0: <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So you said at least two, I guess for your representatives, do you encourage them to have even more than two or like three or four and just keep hitting them?
1: I think it, it, it comes down to what will they get in response? So I think the two, we always look at like first touch point, we would always go in with the, the one that perceives best. So what's going on in the market? What's the business trying to achieve? um and that's kind of coming down to value selling um the second one would be and second one would be like a kind of nuance something that's connected to that main topic so i think it's really important we see with companies everyone knows their product inside out but they don't actually know what the value their product solves so they should be able to have a second curveball they can throw i think if you're getting to a stage where you're trying to do three or four you probably need to rest a bit because i see like Once you get that second point and you're not really getting much people back and the, the, the response rates drop a lot. So we kind of just kind of say after the second point, if we've called them, we've gone the right multi-channel we'll leave them for a time being and then come back in what we call like put them through a nurture cadence. So they're kind of still aware of us, but then we will come back in three months with a different angle. So I think that's enough time not to be seen as too persistent and get yourself black, blacklisted on their email.
0: Yeah, definitely. And just for some context, do you get, like, are most of these leads sourced from outbound efforts or are they
1: more like inbound? And so for us, we're, my team for specifically are 100% um, outbound. So cold outreach, and this is where we go to. And we do use a lot of data from the inbound team. So I would be monitoring the inbound team's activity for two primary reasons. One, to understand like where new ICPs and potential target accounts come. So like I'll literally have a list and go, right, I've got, for some reason, we got 30 um inbounds from fintech. What's going on in that world? And then secondly, I judge, I, you always get this conversation where people are saying the market's tired, Mike is tired, and I'll use inbound to gauge that as well.
0: Okay, yeah, that's super interesting. And in terms of call quality, what do you think? It's like some of the biggest levers different SDR leaders can pull to really increase that if it's at a deficit, um, or even just in general, increase that call quality.
1: I I think what I what I've noticed in the last couple of years is I've spoken to a lot of leaders where they actually give um a script. So it's like, hey, just say these things. And I think anyone, like, we, do, we don't really hire people from the film academy. We don't. They're not, they're not good actors. They're, they're, they do want to get into sales. I might start looking into that as an SDR strategy. It could work out well. But um, I think for improving call quality is, is literally understanding the values of your company and how that person can naturally say them. So what I do, like, what we do is we teach a lot of our SDRs the value, the bullet points, the metrics, quantity. But I'll I'll spend time with them saying, say it in your language, say it in how it makes sense to you, because that way it improves the conviction of the rep. Because if they're saying it from a point of view that they understand, they're better articulating it where I think a lot of times reps will just say what they see in a script and they might not understand it. It doesn't sound natural. They're trying to remember it off the top of their head. So getting reps to the point where they can comfortably say these metrics in their own words versus the marketing script you get is really important in improving that call quality.
0: Yeah. Okay. Gotcha. And do you get your reps to basically go through a full discovery or are they really just lightly qualifying?
1: Uh, we do full qual. We do full quality for about 15 uh, minutes. That's kind of what I always before we hand it over to an AE to do a further qualification. Um we would use the Med- MEDPIC framework around that. So we are going straight in to try to identify like um, I- an ideal pain, understand what was the compelling event for the meeting, trying to get an element of decision process, decision criteria out of them. So using questions like, is this the first time you've ever bought technology or have you ever been involved in processes like that? So we do do a good detail and there is expectations, but I think the important thing is that we make sure that we use MedPick, so it's the same sing him sheet for qualification, so that my, the AES can pick up that song sheet if if anything was missed.
0: Gotcha. And could you share what that acronym means, MedPick?
1: Oh yeah, so MedPick is metrics, um, economic buyer, decision process, decision criteria, identified pain, and champion. So your metric is your quantifiable numbers that you're going to sell to a company. So say. We're going to get you X in a Y time. Economic buyer is getting down that route of who is actually going to sign the check. Uh, Decision process is like, what do we actually need to do to make this happen? So legal process, that's why questions like, have you ever bought technology? Decision criteria kind of goes down to like, what is actually going to make someone move in the business? So when we think about value selling, how do we relate what we're selling to the company to like the, the business mission, what they're trying to do? Identify pain is going to be that situation of like, what is the one that's really going to hurt someone? And then the seed champion is literally, who is the person in this company who's going to go to battle for you? Because so many of these software deals are going to be won by internal people fighting for it versus an external vendor who's going to be seen as just a sleazy salesperson sometimes. They're like, oh, they just want to hit their target. They're not in the interest. Where if you build a person who sees the value in this, who believes in it, sees their own personal interest gaining from this, they're not only gonna be the people that are gonna go back for you within the company, they're the people that are gonna give you the insight that you need to know that the directors might not wanna tell you, that you then can go back and pitch hard at them and win them over.
0: So there at Salesforce, as far as the metrics, like, hey, we can do X and Y time, which just that something you'd be interested in. Is that something that is universal across your outbound team, like for every company, or do they actually need to determine that when they're talking with a given company?
1: Everyone has to do that. It's, it's the, the aim of it is like, say the, the M right. There's two versions of M. There's metric one and metric two. And metric one is something that you your business has done before, because without an M one, you go say, for example, with sales off, we can go, Hey, we can generate you a lot more pipeline. Show me a sales director in the world who doesn't want to hear that story but then they're kind of like, okay, that's nice. But then if you apply an M1, which is a time-based and a qualified metric associated with it, you create the urgency. So if you go, hey, we can get you 25% more pipeline in in the first month of implementation. You're coming up on your Q4. We can get this in by Q3. Let's do something. That creates the fire. And that's the difference in our qualification that we want to get to. Now, when you get to the second M, that's when you go, hey, we've pick the one quant quantification we want to go after so that's more pipeline better meeting conversion rates stuff like that and whatever that might be it might be ad tech we want to reduce your spend in a dmp by x m2 is when you actually get under their books and go right when you're putting this proposal in front of the the cfo or head of procurement they can see how much money they're going to make back in in your own language so what metrics you've identified in that business so that you're working towards an actual number
0: hmm okay and Is there a lot of research that needs to happen on the front end for a representative to be able to give accurate metrics to a given company? Or is that more so just figured out during the discovery and like they're pretty professional, they know what they're doing?
1: I think it comes down to where you're going after. So we've worked with companies before about um, spending time working out the industry metrics for each sector. So like what what would those metrics be for retail, fintech, ad tech, HR, all these different areas? And then that way you tee up the questions being like, what if we could do X? Could we do this in Y time? So that each rep knows how to do that. So it depends on whether you're verticalizing specifically or you have a generalized ICP strategy.
0: Gotcha. Okay, that clarifies it. Now, that's some really good insights. As far as value selling, um, you know, we were discussing it a little bit previously and you mentioned it once or twice there. How is it that you use value
1: selling to increase conversion rates? Um, I think it, for me, it's always come down to being relevant. Um, I think too many times with value selling, it's really understanding the missions of the business and the missions of the person you're selling to. So for me, what I've really worked on with enablement and we tried to find out is that when we're targeting industries and we're bringing on new reps, they know a lot more about the personas they're selling to, the life of the person they're selling to. They know a lot more about the industry and they have a program in their life that, that keeps them updated because at the end of the day, most of us coming into SDR and BDR worlds we're first timers into this role, or we've been here for two years. And it's so easy to be misunderstood to the senior C-level people that we're going at. So for example, I've seen, when I first came in, I sometimes saw like SDRs calling sales directors and that sales director is going, hold the phone. I've I've been doing this for probably longer than you're alive. How are you telling me how to do my job? Where, where, if you go, if you understand what's going on in the industry and you understand the day-to-day of that person, that conversation changed to is, I, you are, you are senior, you know what you're doing, but I have something new that you might not know about. And that's what directors want to hear about. That's why directors will take these calls. They want to learn about what's going on in their world that they're not aware of. What have they been missing? What's a new, the new trick, the new bubble, the new shiny thing that helps them achieve what they need? And that's where value selling comes in versus spending time making sure every SCR or BDR is as good as an SC presenting the solution.
0: Yeah. Could you actually define value selling as well? Like, what would you say really defines value selling?
1: I think value selling if i was to articulate it would be a connection to the purpose of the business and the purpose of the individual in order for them to hit their hit their uh their goals and i think that comes down to that messaging of when we're talking to companies it's so easy to get caught up in hey our product is great and it does x and z when it the conversation needs to be you're trying to achieve this these are the hurdles. And then at the end of that kind of like, if you think about it, like from a pain funnel solution, you walk in and they like, I have a pain in my knee. The doctor will diagnose you right going saying, oh, you have a knee injury with this, in this cartilage. The same with business. It's like, if you want to achieve something, you need to understand how that works and then bring that person down to how your solution solves it. Where I think in the market, people are far too much going in being like, we're the nice shiny toy. Here's all the tech features that are technology bias and it's that kind of simon sec of and why and the whys the circles like that yeah
0: yeah so it sounds like a lot of it is really having that like industry and and persona knowledge versus you know maybe more of the like product or, or tech knowledge like understanding the intricacies on that end when it comes to you know maybe given your sdrs more of that industry knowledge more of that persona knowledge how is it that you actually train them on this how do you teach them to go about
1: that um i think for us we do we we break it down into um direct and also um ongoing so for personas we will actually get like people in the company who are in those positions to come and speak to our, S- our SDR teams so i think a lot of the folks of like fo- focus of cfo is same across the board a lot of the marketing directors can give insights on what's going on. So using that, especially in onboarding, is key to being like, this is the life that I go through. The second one then comes into is, what data sources you use and set up for your team so they all have access. So we talk about like trying to get like, oh, better situate software for enablement decks and stuff like that. But what we should really be looking is like, if they're going after technology, do they have access to like TechCrunch? Do they use Bloomberg? Do they use the Financial Times? Do you give them time to actually spend each week to learn these things? Do you do things like open forums? So we do one where we spend um, half a day going through the previous deals of the last quarter to understand what's going on in our market and seeing like what was the win points? What were the deal noises so they're the kind of three things I would I would suggest to directors when they're thinking about trying to use value selling is the enablement to start using your own internal management. Second part is making sure rep has a good direct feed and knows how to use it. I think too many times people have multiple different sources and it gets a bit lost. And the third one is using your own deals to understand what's going on in the market.
0: In terms of establishing that direct feed, are there certain maybe, you know, articles or, or different sources of information that are like your go-to even for sales loft, as an example?
1: Yeah, for me, we, uh, there's a brilliant company called Dealroom and Dealroom really focuses on, cause I, my target market is um, ICP growth. But so it gives me a lot of information, but the, one that I, but the second Bible I would swear by is TechCrunch. It literally gives me everything goes on. But like when I used to work back at Adobe and I looked after retail, I had retail week open every single day. Like it, it is, there's so many great sources out there that if you're specifying versus a generalization or a thing, but I think the, the big problem is that companies just give a big list out where with all these specific technologies, you need to go down and have someone break them down. You need to nearly teach them how to set it up so that it's easy as possible. So one I use for my team is Euler, and Euler literally sends an email every day and the guys update it once a month with their new target accounts. What happens is a lot of industries, they just go, oh, go go on to BBC News or something, for example, where you actually as a management need to start steering them in the right direction because your job as a manager is to remove unnecessary thinking. So this is where it's really important that managers aren't just jumping at technology quickly. They're actually going, do my reps know how to use it? That classic conversation track of, is adoption going to be there?
0: Okay, those are just some huge insights. Really appreciate mentioning those. In terms of how you yourself will get involved in really teaching your reps, like do you have a different feed that you really pull from? Are you doing extra research that you're really, you know, gonna go ahead and provide them with on like team meetings, for example, or inside of those open forums, et cetera?
1: yeah i guess i would i personally myself i would put at least like a day aside a week to do all this stuff like so really a day a week to do like as best as i can i restructure it usually it's a friday when i'm when i have time to do it when the week's less busy but i'll probably spend most of my friday going over close one deals doing my own research and then picking a topic to teach people on monday in our stand-up on monday morning like this is the latest in the thing. I'll usually, I'll usually spend about 15 minutes on everyone going, these were the wins of last week. These are the trends that went through. These were the best examples from calls that we did last week ourselves that got it. So that's all relevant. It's all like new information. It's going because I think a lot happens is in previous companies without doing exercises like this or not having data, one person gets a reply from an email and all of a sudden it's this silver bullet that everyone needs to send and we're going to read do all our marketing on because we got one meeting when it's like no you really need to be volatile you need to be changing this so i did it at the start people were like are you crazy taking nearly a full day to do this work but i could thankfully have had a very successful last two years in my team even in these markets so i i I can stick to my gun saying it is working
0: (laughs) yeah like what would you say to you know an sgr leader is like no like i don't there's no way it's valuable to spend that whole day doing that what would you say to
1: them i i, I kind of go down to SDR's later set when i say this and saying what has changed in the last month that you've done it's i think sdr leaders will always do like their, their basics they'll do their team meetings they'll do their one-to-ones they'll review work in the background and i think for us as well as managers we need to keep it interesting and that's where I like doing that day of research because I'm learning at the same time, but I'm getting a lot of credit from the directors above me by, cause, cause from doing this, I'm coming and turning to my manager being like, Hey, like one trend I picked up on last year was Google were changing and um, we're getting rid of cookies. So I said, every ad tech business has to change how they're going to sell we went after every ad tech company we knew and won so much business. And that got me so much recognition, but that came from that half day of reading articles being like, oh, this is a game changer for my industry. So I think it's kind of when direct managers are starting out, maybe not commit so much time, but if you're like a year in and you're looking to kind of step from a manager to a director or go or stand out, it's the easiest way to do it because you're seeing then as a thought leader versus just someone good at their day-to-day.
0: Okay. So I got to ask then, in terms of you giving feedback to your setters, I guess, like, what are those core areas you really focus on? Like, how much do you really, you know, go ahead and do call reviews and, you know, giving them more of the tactical versus just teaching them this, this industry knowledge?
1: Um, I do spend a bit of time. So I kind of work uh, on an hour per rep. That's kind of my basis minimum per week. So that half an hour is going to be their one-to-one and then half an hour is my time solely isolated onto reviewing them. Now I am fortunate again to say I work in a company that is built to do this. So I have things like call recording technology. I have direct feedback into sentiment analysis, but looking back, I can't imagine how someone did this job without it because it comes down to that quantity of like, when something goes wrong, what'd you do? So, If you don't have it, I would highly encourage it because you can't be in every call at reps. You can't um, just rely on CRM data. It won't impact your team. And that hour that I commit, maybe two, two hours per rep becomes three to four hours. It means you're not also getting, you can't identify patterns as well. So that's where I really focus on. So, and then that half an hour, just for a context, I'll break it down from calls, metrics and then um email reading so fun fun times okay gotcha
0: and would that be in the one-to-one or in the own review that you're doing
1: i'll do it in an own review and then what also i trigger is i ask people to send me work for the like they have to prepare it 24 hours before their one-to-one so for example i need my reps to send me a call 24 hours before our one-to-one and from that, I want to see three bullet points of what they thought went well and three bullet points of what they thought they could have done better. And from this analysis, it helps me get them into a better mindset themselves of what's good for a call, what's good for an email, rather than me just going in and being like, oh, you missed the pain point here. I changed that line. And it really just builds this foundation because it's I love when I can go into a call and be like, hey, see that pain point that you digged on? That's perfect. That's what I need to get better at. You identified it yourself, just keep that up. So that's where I kind of really look for.
0: Oh, that's, that's a really good strategy. So how about like team-wide meetings? Like even how many of those do you personally like to have per week?
1: Um, I settled out that we do about two team meetings a week, 45 minutes at the start of the week, 45 minutes at the end of the week. The 45 minutes at the end of the week, I do keep it optional because I am a very advocate person of don't have a meeting for the sake of a meeting. And I see that, like, if I think it, like it if you actually go into Google calendars now, it shows you how much meetings the reps do per week. And I actually keep an, an eye on that tab because I remember like during lockdown, especially there was an element where we were having so many meetings and there was an element of in my previous role where we were being forced to have meetings because people were like, we have to keep an eye on everyone. We have to know what they're doing. And I just got to a stage where I was looking at them and going, so many people in this meeting are zoned out. <laughs> so I would focus on maybe two meetings a week, one with an emphasis of what's the game plan for the week, what's the focus for a week, and then the second one being on enablement. So a combination of management doing enablement, and then I also delegate out enablements to my team so that they feel like they're seeing from peer to peer, they're feeling like they're like doing something different than the mundane of being an SDR of just, calls, emails, and quality, and that's how I work.
0: Okay, and do you ever do like basically got a minute meetings or uh, like ad hoc meetings with anyone or like even any other meetings aside from those weekly and then the one-on-ones? Yeah,
1: I I think I think you have to have that transparency with both your teams. So we do have a do not wait kind of policy. So if I'm ever researching or saying spend that day and I see maybe a rep did a really good email, I'll be on to them being like, hey, straight away, Do it. So all being reactive. But I think what you have to be careful when you do those like one-to-one meetings is I think too many times managements, and I've seen it before, is like something might happen, they're pissed off, or something sorry, apologies, or something might happen and they're um they're really excited and they don't think to the crux of what this is. So I do always take a minute to think about what I'm about to say, because you want to ensure that it's fitting in with best practice, it's fitting in with scope, kind of stuff like that.
0: Okay, gotcha. Yeah, no, that makes a lot of sense. One one of the questions that I was really curious about is, do you think it's ever futile to really focus on increasing a given status conversion rate or your team's conversion rate? Like, is there a limit you can hit where, you know, maybe it's not as ideal in terms of innovation specifically?
1: Yeah, no, I do. And um, I think going back to that point we, we talked about at the start, it's, under, it's the waterfall effect of understanding what number you really need to hit and keeping that in line. So I remember, I actually had this conversation last year about reducing the number because we needed to win bigger deals. To get those bigger deals, I needed to have more time, more stakeholders brought in. and more, um, I needed to have the opportunity to pitch multiple parts of the product and the solution if we had just stuck to the traditional conversions, we wouldn't have hit those overall business one criteria. So I think really like when you see like, okay, I need to get this many meetings flipped. You need to understand like, why is the root of that? Where does it come from? And the innovations that we've seen to do that are kind of like giving people different like kind of snippets and access, giving people different value talk tracks, just increasing them. That's where the real change has come.
0: Thanks for tuning in everyone. To another episode of the SDR Leadership Podcast. I did speak with Rob afterwards and if you'd like to get in touch with him, he did say that was okay. Head over to the LinkedIn that you see in the description below, Rob Byrne. If you search for him there, you should be able to find him either way. Guys, one last thing. If you haven't already, if you got any kind of value out of this episode or even if if not, go ahead over to the iTunes and drop us a review drop us a rating. That will do two things. One, it'll get me feedback around what I should adjust so that I can provide better content and interviews for all of you and better info. And number two, it'll help bring more SDR leaders to the space so that we can uh, continue to improve the quality of all this stuff. So that would be extremely helpful. Go ahead and do that if you haven't already. I'll see you guys in the next one. Appreciate you all.